Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to, no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything, from T-shirts and jeans to sweatshirts and jackets, and of course, their legendary best hoodie ever. So you can fill your wardrobe with the pieces that will get you through your spring days. Like the lightweight joggers and pullovers in the French Terry collection, or the rich and polished premium slub crew tee. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, American Giant makes something that's sure to be your next closet go-to. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Find a closet staple for every part of your day at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code staple two zero. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing J.T. Barrett possibly starting at quarterback for the Edmonton Elks. The CFL unveiling this year's touchdown Atlantic in Wolfville, Nova Scotia. Saskatchewan's provincial government imposing a 6% tax hike on Riders tickets. Henry Burris quickly leaving the BC Lions just 10 days after being hired. And the Elks being unlikely to trade the first overall pick in this year's CFL draft. But first. The CFL Combine took place this past weekend in Toronto with 53 Canadian players measuring in, testing, and performing in the one-on-ones in front of CFL scouts. Hodge, this was your fourth Combine and JC his first. Give us your overall impressions of the event, fellas. I had an absolute blast. It was the first time in two years I've uh, been unsequestered from the Arctic tundra of Manitoba and uh, got the opportunity to see people live and in the flesh. It was the first time I got to to meet JC Abbott. We were supposed to meet in person at the 2020 combine. We saw each other at the airport and he says, I guess we weren't catfishing each other this whole time. Anyway, I said, buddy, let's be honest. If we were catfishing each other, we both would have picked prettier pictures. Uh, but anyways, as for the actual event, I mean, it's a, it's it's not the strongest draft class I've ever seen. I'll be I'll be perfectly honest and frank about that. Are there some very good players? Yes, absolutely. Uh, but the results were not as strong as we have seen in past years. I was also disappointed in the bubble at Varsity Stadium. The media area had really no vantage point for the one on ones. and There was no video screen to allow us to watch them. So we had to go back and watch them all after the fact anyway. But other than that, I enjoyed the event. There are some very talented players. I got to talk, got to speak to many of them in person, and I'm looking forward to drafting. For me, it was a dream come true to be able to attend the combine, to meet you guys both in person for the first time, because I hadn't met Justin Dunk either. Um, But like you said, Hodge, being at the actual combine was probably the most disappointing 
disappointing portion of the weekend. All the rubbing elbows with scouts and GMs and coaches, that lived up to the hype. But freezing my butt off in a tiny corner <laughs> in uh, U of T's bubble while not being able to see what I came there to see, would have liked some better forethought from, from the CFL in terms of designing how that media setup was, uh, was administered. It needs an upper deck, guys. When we were in Regina in Winnipeg, and by we, I mean Hodge and I, there was an upper deck and it was a great viewing area. So you don't have that in Toronto. And I would like to see something different in the future, especially if you're going to let fans back in there because it becomes difficult for them to see as well. So I feel like reflecting on my days when I was covering it for CFL.ca, you could go anywhere on the field and I was right there watching it and could move around to get a great vantage point. But I feel for the fans now who are relegated to essentially the one end zone or the back part of the dome there at the University of Toronto and not being able to see. Other than that, I really liked how the CFL put this event on. It was at the Weston Harbor Castle, downtown Toronto. That's where the players stayed and that's where the combine was based out of. And that setup was an upgrade over where it had been previously. It really looked like major league and obviously the CFL is a professional league. So the fact that these players come in here to the combine, invited of course, but come to a setup like that to me shows right away that it's professional. So I think overall it was smoothly run. I mean, you guys are going to complain about not being able to see. That's fair. CFL I'm sure will take that into account next time, but Overall, for it being the first in-person event for all three of us and going to a CFL off-season event that is really the major off-season one, I think the CFL did a great job. Plus, you know, they gave us some free swag, so we should give them some props. Yeah, that's true. And and they can't. It's not like they can control the temperature in the bubble. It was minus four in Toronto with like minus 14 wind chill, unseasonably cold temperatures. I apologize if I brought that with me from Manitoba uh, to the city of Toronto. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, uh, yeah, the vantage point thing was a problem. The hotel stuff was great. And you're right about that. They had some really slick banners in, in the ballroom. There was a nice stage for players to perform on. Um, and, and as a media person, there was a nice area there. My only complaint would be in the bubble itself at the U of T. I also spoke to a number of players who felt like the surface was awfully slick. I know a few players who blew out, you know, uh, during, for example, the three cone drill and you get two shots at it. But obviously, if you slip the first time, the second time you might be tempted to not bend the end, just uh, bend the edges hard if you're worried about getting DQ'd. Because if obviously, if you slip the first time and the second time now, now you don't have a result at all. So uh, I did talk to a few, a few players who felt like the turf was slick. Now, was it? I don't know. I'm not an expert on turf slickness, Uh, but I did speak to a few players that way. So I agree, Dunk. I preferred the field stuff in Winnipeg and Regina where there was a uh, upper deck viewing area because ultimately, especially for the one-on-ones, this is stuff that fans in these cities will want to see. And I know obviously Toronto is not a CFL hotbed, but if they ever take this event out on the road again, which I think they would be very smart to do, places like Ottawa, places like Hamilton, you know, Edmonton, I would love to go to a combine in Edmonton at some point. You know, that's something that I think they need to improve upon is just ensuring that there is a proper viewing area, uh, preferably that's elevated. And that way, if they do want to separate the fans and the media and the football people, well, then you can do that uh, nice and easily, uh, provided that you have that upper level uh, for fans or media or whoever to, to watch from. I will give the CFL kudos as well. I thought 
the promotion for this year's combine in terms of all the glamour shots they did of, of every single prospect was miles better than it had been in years past. It, it looked professional. It looked NFL quality in terms of, of these shots they were taking of the prospects. And that goes a long way to legitimizing the CFL draft. So kudos to them for that. Uh, but perhaps it was a bit of a blessing in disguise that this was not a combine that fans could attend because not only was the setup not ideal on, on the field day, I, I think some of the higher end prospects that the Phil Potts come to mind, maybe underperformed a little bit, weren't the hype generators uh, in the on-field testing that some people may have hoped they would be. Yeah, to me, normally you would have the stars of a CFL combine emerge over the weekend. But the two main dudes, you mentioned the one set of brothers and the Philpots were the Fords, in my mind. Tyrell Ford yeah. wins the 40-yard dash, and Trey Ford, we knew what he could do and his brother even before the CFL Combine kicked off because they attended the university at Buffalo Pro Day and wowed NFL scouts there. So he had an idea, and then Ford, the quarterback, smartly decides not to run the 40. So I think that took some of the juice out of the event overall. Chris Jones told the media last week that it would take an extremely attractive offer for the Edmonton Elks to trade the first overall pick in the 2022 CFL draft. JC, do you see them trading the pick? And if not, who do you think they're going to select? I really don't see them trading it at all for, for the reason you mentioned earlier. It's, it's not a strong draft class. It's not a deep draft class. So if you want to get that blue chip guy that you think can contribute right away and, and be a player for you down the line, you have to take him at the top of this draft. So you're not trading out of that number one spot unless someone's giving you a really attractive package with you know multiple picks for next year. And I, I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, I think right now, Tyrell Richards uh, from the University of Syracuse is far and away the favorite in my mind to be taken first overall. I know there was some discussion about Deontay Knight from the University of Western being in that conversation, but Richards really separated himself in my mind over the course of the combine. Fantastic testing numbers for a 233-pounder. Ran with the D-line, the linebackers, and the DBs. He, he can long snap, apparently, and punt, according to his high school coach. <laughs> so you're getting a guy who can contribute every single place on the field, going, going to be a dynamic special teamer. And frankly, the one-on-ones in which he participated in, not only did he dominate them entirely, I don't think there was there were stretches where players didn't touch him. He was just running around them, swimming over them. They looked like they were blocking air. So he really separated himself, in my mind, this weekend. To me, the only way Edmonton trades the pick is if they get assurance from another team that they're not going to take Richards. If there's another player that one of the teams behind them covets and they want to come up and make sure that they get, then that's where a deal could be brokered. But other than that, it seems so clear that Richards might as well get a contract done right now with Edmonton because he is far and above the rest of this class in terms of the CFL draft. If we were talking about the top talent in the draft, there would definitely be an argument for Trey Ford. And I think it would be one of the first times potentially in history where we're talking about a Canadian quarterback potentially going in the first round and maybe even in the top picks. But the fact that he has so much NFL interest makes Richards the clear 
number one favorite right now. Yeah, and maybe I'm reading too much into this quote, but but Thursday of last week, the CFL made every CFL head coach and GM available via Zoom, which we very much appreciated. And Chris Jones said that we're going to take the quote is on is on my article from last week. If you want to see it, I'm paraphrasing here, of course. But he essentially said we're going to take the guy who helps us the most ratio wise, um, which I found very interesting. Or I believe he used the t- the word flexibility. Because in my original mock draft, I had Deontay Knight there because I see the defensive tackle spot as the most important position for Edmondson to address. Now, Knight was more of an edge rusher at Western, but at 275 pounds, I see him moving inside at the CFL level. Edmonton likely to start Mac Henry there potentially. And then they've got Stefan Charles there for some depth. But both those guys are older, Knight potentially an heir apparent, but not necessarily a guy who's going to give you flexibility with the ratio enter Tyrell Richards. You laid out perfectly his versatility, JC easily the most versatile player in this draft edge rusher, linebacker, potentially safety core teamer snapper. And apparently he can kick like Chris Jones is a mad scientist at the best of times. And if you're Tyrell Richards, you're like the brand new toy in the laboratory that Chris Jones gets to mess with, play around with, and uh, and figure out all kinds of weird, interesting, and potentially unorthodox ways to use you on the football field. So I see Richards as the number one pick in this draft right now, barring a shocking development uh, later down the line. You mentioned him before, Dunk. Canadian quarterback Trey Ford is garnering lots of attention from NFL teams. Does it seem possible that he'll get a legitimate shot south of the border? It really does. The more this process plays out, and the more people you talk to, especially south of the border, and the more interest that he gets, it certainly seems like it's trending that way. The interesting tidbit to me that I found out over the weekend in talking to his head coach at the University of Waterloo and Chris Bertoia was that there were three or four NFL teams that reached out to UW before the 2021 U-Sports season. So that to me shows that he was already on the radar for a handful of teams. And then the interest has come fast and furious ever since he laid down that 445 40-yard dash at the UB Pro Day in front of NFL scouts live. That was critical. The testing has really elevated the way that teams are seeing him and his stock. I don't want to say necessarily for the NFL draft, although I do think there's a chance that he get gets picked in the NFL draft, but more so for the undrafted free agent process. I certainly think it would make a lot of sense. And then you start looking in that and you're thinking, well, if an NFL team wants to ensure they get him, do they take him in the seventh round? with a draft pick to make sure they don't have to get in the bidding with him as a UDFA. So as you go along here and you look at the interest and then you have the comparables, he's the fastest quarterback in the 2022 NFL draft class. He's arguably the most athletic quarterback. And then you have teams looking at him like the Arizona Cardinals who have Kyler Murray as a quarterback there, as a starter, their franchise guy. Now Ford's not necessarily going to come in and let's say back up Murray right away and go on the field But if you have him there to develop, then you could see that potential trajectory. And I think that's what NFL scouts are starting to see. Approximately 24 teams, fellas, have reached out to Ford's camp in some form or fashion, whether that's for background information, gathering film, having character discussions, or talking to the kid himself to really get the best 
overall view that they can put together as they go forward here and make this decision in what is a quarterback draft that, to be honest, and according to NFL scouts, is not that great. Like there is not a bona fide or certified first round pick. And if that happens in this draft, it's going to be a guy like Kenny Pickett being overdrafted in my mind. So Ford and his athletic ability and the way, especially he can throw the football and the way he threw that NFL ball in Buffalo really bode well for his opportunities. Yeah, to me, the draft is always about supply and demand because at the end of the day, a lot of these prospects, it's almost a wash in terms of what they can and can't do. It comes down to fit and it comes comes down to what's available. And if there's ever a year to come out as a youth sports quarterback looking to draw attention south of the border, this is it, folks, right? And we've seen in past years, we've seen teams reach on quarterbacks in the first round because they need one. To me, the prime example would be EJ Manuel going to the Buffalo Bills in the first round of the 2013 NFL draft. It was not a first round talent, but the Bills took him because they desperately needed a guy. And you look back at that draft and you go, my goodness, there's so many more you know, more versatile, talented players on the board. Why would you go first round quarterback just because you feel you have to, if it means you're going to have to draft another one in a year or two down the line. So to me, absolutely. This is a great development for Trey Ford. As you said, he is the most athletic quarterback in the class. And let's also mention this. He went measured in at the combine at just under six feet and 199 pounds, which I think is important. Had he measured in at, let's say, 5'9 and 180 pounds soaking wet, I think that would have hurt his NFL chances. Is he a big-body quarterback? No. But sometimes we see guys listed in youth sports at 6 feet 200, and they come to the combine, and they do measure in and weigh in that low. That was not the case with, with, with Trey Ford. He measured in at a decent size, weighed in, and again, maybe not as heavy as you'd optimally like for the NFL, but usable. There are quarterbacks in the NFL who weigh 200 pounds, so I think that was clutch for him as well. Yeah, he's a guy that's clearly garnering a lot of NFL interest. And when you get that number of teams calling, to me, that's what's going to ultimately lead to a legitimate shot. Now, the beauty is going to be in the eye of the beholder in terms of how legit that shot is. But you look at the teams with dual threat quarterbacks and there's more and more around the NFL that are using them. And Ford mentioned this to me when I was talking with him, that Russell Wilson to him was an idol, especially through his teen years. And then you have Ford talking about wanting to do a jersey swap with Wilson. You don't see that confidence too often. And to be honest, I don't think it's a cockiness. And sometimes I feel like players in Canada sort of overreach in terms of their skill set and if they can get to the NFL. But the calmness with which Ford talks about that shows me that he's ready to compete at that level. He talked about feeling like he's an NFL talent and just that, as I mentioned, sort of quiet confidence that he can get to that level to me is really intriguing. The one other interesting note that I found out about is you look at Lamar Jackson in the AFC North with the Baltimore Ravens. Well, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Cincinnati, they got to play that dude two times a year. And Ford is not quite as fast as Jackson, obviously, and doesn't have the same pedigree, Jackson being the 2019 NFL MVP. But if you're those teams, the Steelers, Browns, and Bengals, is it a value add to them to either draft them in the late rounds, maybe the seventh rounds, or sign them as a UDFA? to help you get ready to face Jackson. Make sure your first team defense has an idea of the speed level that it's going to take to prepare for Jackson. Now, not to say that 
all of the def- defenders on those teams have never played against Jackson, but it can certainly help. So there's whispers around the NFL that even just from that standpoint, he could be a value adder right away, and then he could be a quarterback that you could develop for down the line. It's not just the AFC North either, the NFC West, where you got Kyler Murray, um, any team that's playing Denver now with Russell Wilson. If you can get a guy with that skill set that you're playing every day in practice to prepare for these guys, that you can run your scout team around and re- really emulate that. You see teams add players in season to be able to mimic offenses. Now you've got a guy on your roster that you can plug in there to prep for those quarterbacks that you're going to have to face multiple times a year. Excellent points, boys. And I I do think that we will see Ford get an NFL shot as personally, I think it's UDFA, but you never know. Crazier things have happened than Ford getting drafted by the NFL. Sticking with quarterbacks, Chris Jones told the media last week that JT Barrett will start for the Elks under center. If he performs the best in training camp meetings and the preseason, do we really believe that Barrett could be the week one starter for Edmonton in 2022. I struggle with that, Hodge, but there are people around the league who believe not only is it most likely that it is a virtual certainty that JT Barrett will win the starting job in Edmonton. That blows my mind because very rarely do we see a big-name quarterback come up from the States and have immediate success in the CFL, but if there is anyone who was going to take a shot on it, it's Chris Jones. Certainly, he loves his big name quarterback speed from the NCAA or the NFL. And JC, you sort of alluded to it here. And there was some talk around the combine that the Elks have been looking to trade Nick Arbuckle for quite some time. So you pair that with the fact that there's people in the league, rivals of the Elks, of course, that feel like Barrett is the favorite to be the starter. And then also you look at the quote that Jones had. Essentially, he said if he performs the best in training camp, he'll be the starter. To me, that's ultra rare that you would have veteran quarterbacks on the roster, guys with starting experience currently, Arbuckle and Taylor Cornelius, and you would say that a rookie coming in that has never played a game in the CFL, if he beats them out, which seems plausible in training camp, then he'll be the starter. So Jones, to me, is getting more comfortable with this idea. And we don't necessarily know the conversations that were had between Jones and Barrett's camp prior to signing him to a contract. But you would imagine now with the confidence that seems to be emanating from Jones and Barrett, that part of that conversation had to be, look at if you come in and you show that you're the dude, we're not going to just let you develop and sort of stick you as the backup quarterback and bide your time. We're going to put you in there right away. So I certainly think that that would have been part of the conversation, that speculation. But as we go along here and you hear sort of some of the things that are potentially going on with Arbuckle and that the Elks still want to try to trade him, and really, I don't understand, but don't want anything to do with them, then you get the sense that, yeah, this could be, and it seems unbelievable to even say it's job to lose. Well, and let's look at the alternative. If it's not Arbuckle, that means that the starter is going to be Taylor Cornelius or JT Barrett. And Taylor Cornelius, with all due respect, he had a couple of really good games in 2021. He also had some terrible games and a lot of growing pains. And if you're looking at who the more seasoned quarterback is, at least in terms of the CFL, you know, it's not like Taylor Cornelius has a half decade of experience 
as a starter, he is also a young, still developing quarterback in the three down league. So JT Barrett can't be that far behind, especially with the NFL pedigree he has. Didn't play, obviously, a lot in meaningful games down there, but has been on a bunch of rosters and been to a bunch of training camps, as well as playing on arguably the biggest stage in college football. So I do think that there's a chance this happens. And I'm sure the Elks, let's not forget, in terms of the financial side of things, would love to have a starting quarterback for the next two years, making next to nothing on the cap, which is going to allow them to do all kinds of other things on the roster to put the best pieces possible around Barrett. And also, of course, fill up that defense with a bunch of stars for Chris Jones to work with. And that's already what they've tried to do in terms of signing Kelly Lawler to that big deal. And there were some other big money offers out there that they didn't close on. So that's certainly the idea. And when Jones talks about how much he seems to like James Wilder Jr. at this point and the money they spent on the offensive line and running the rock and especially the confidence that Jones has in the defense, then you get the sense that he's setting the Elks up to be quarterback friendly in this situation or rookie friendly, let's say, for Barrett. Because the one knock on Jones, especially when he was in Saskatchewan, is he never had that guy. There were opportunities for multiple people. Zach Caleros was brought in there. And of course, he had the injury. And it seemed like at points he was going to be that dude, but it didn't play out that way. Brandon Bridge was another one who was in there. And then they ultimately go back and forth between him and Kevin Glenn. So I think Jones wants to find that guy and have be a young dude and invest the time in him. If indeed Jones is going to stay true to his word and honor this four-year contract or potentially longer <laughs> with Edmonton. The big tip off for me as to why this may be their preferred outcome is if you look at the quarterbacks down the depth chart that are going to be in training camp that don't have a shot really at the starting job, but maybe kicking around and none of them are in the mold of Nick Arbuckle and they're not in the mold of Taylor Cornelius either. They are all, all mobile guys that can play the same style of game as JT Barrett. That indicates one that Edmonton wants one of those type of guys on the roster, at least one of them. And B, if JT, JT Barrett wins the starting job and you've got to build an offense around him and his skill set, they've got guys that they can then back him up and just plug and play into that system. So they are bringing in talents similar to JT Barrett, but not similar to the other two guys that are in line for the starting job. Yeah, and I'm not saying this is going to play into it, but with Victor Quee, the new president there, he understands marketing. And to get more eyeballs on Elks games, whether or not that leads to more ticket revenue. But if you have Barrett as your starter, that's certainly going to attract more attention from the United States and the Ohio State Buckeye Nation. All the fans out there are going to be jacked up to see Barrett back on a football field. Like we got to remember, he hasn't played in a professional game ever. He's played in the spring league, I believe, a little bit, but he never got into an NFL regular season game. So if that dude that was a three-time captain at Ohio State was part of their national championship team there, I believe it was in 2015, and also one of the program record holders in terms of a number of quarterback records there, that that could attract some eyeballs. That's not obviously going to be one of the main decision makers but I think if you're Quee, you're probably happy because it helps the Elks become a more North American brand if Barrett starts. All right, Hodge, you sat down with 2012 Grey Cup MVP Chad Cacker, and he told you how he learned that Corey Boyd had been released that season. 
Can you believe what he told you? <laughs> this is why I love talking to retired players is they tell you where all the bodies are buried. They'll tell you all the details that they couldn't possibly reveal while they were playing. So, and I encourage you to check out the piece. Chad Cackert was up partying uh, in uh, Collingwood, Ontario. I think that's about 90 minutes north of Toronto, if I'm at memory serves correct, at a wakeboarding and music festival. He'd had three shots already. It was 1030 in the morning. He was sleeping in his car because he hadn't booked far enough in advance to get actual accommodations. Mind you, he was on the practice roster making CFL PR money at the time. So maybe that had something to do with it as well. But that's my speculation. And he got a call from Scott Milanovic saying Corey Boyd had been cut. And Corey Boyd was still playing at an elite level. And uh, he said after that smack dab, he didn't have another drink all weekend, was sober as a priest to get ready for the ready for his next performance, which which the Argos won, by the way, in an upset at McMahon Stadium over the Stampeders. So I loved uh, hearing hearing the story from Chad. We've got highlights of that on the site as well as on Instagram. And uh, yeah, yeah, I just loved having that conversation. It was great. Fantastic story from behind the scenes, the type of things you only get when you get to talk to these guys long after the fact and well worth a read for anyone on three down nation. Um, but man, the only thing I remember about Chad Cackert is how awful his nickname was the cack attack. You guys know what that means? <laughs> it's a very explosive bowel movement. That's what it is. He was an explosive running back, man. And it's the kind of content you get at three down nation all the time. man. Hodge, I thought it was a great nugget that you unearthed and it shows how quickly Things can change in the CFL. Now, a large part of that was due to Boyd and his, let's say, personality, not necessarily continuing to mesh with the coaching staff there. But Packard literally, and I hate cliches, but took that opportunity and ran with it. And how different would it have been, let's say, in the situation? I think these are intriguing, too. If Boyd would have just kept to himself a little bit more and continued to play at that high level, does Packard ever have a decent CFL career? Does Boyd end up being the 2012 Grey Cup MVP? How long does Boyd's career last as a Toronto Argo? So, so many little things end up playing out. And the fact that he found out at, what was it, Hodge? Wakestock was pretty unique. Wakestock, that's correct. That's what it's called. It's a play on Woodstock, of course. And a detail that did not make the article, by the way, is at the time, I don't know if he does now, but Scott Milanovic, like many American coaches, uh, was into chewing tobacco. So on the bye week partying, and, and let's not forget, Chad Cacker played his, his college ball in New Hampshire just across the border. He got a call from Scott Milanovic at 1030. He figured, hey, he's going to be asking me to buy him some chew because chew in Canada is like 20 bucks a can. In New Hampshire, it's $3 a can. So I thought that was amazing. When he picked up the phone, he's like, oh, coach is going to be asking me, hey, you're an American. Anyway, pick me up some chew, save me some money. And then he finds out, no, you're the new starting quarterback of the Toronto Argonauts because we just cut our all-star running back. Uh, who would have been most outstanding rookie last year had he not played a couple of games with the Denver Broncos back in the day. So great, great interview. And I'm looking forward to this offseason to talking to more former CFL players. It's now time for Hodges' heritage moment. On this day in 2018, John Chick announced his retirement from the CFL. The three-time league all-star recorded 240 tackles and 72 quarterback sacks over eight seasons with Saskatchewan, Hamilton, and Edmonton winning great cups in 2007 and 2013. 
Chick's best season came in 2009 when he became the first member of the Rough Riders since Gerald Bayless in 1993 to be named the CFL's most outstanding defensive player. Chick now spends his time spreading conspiracy theories on social media. Boys, I would love to know what is your favorite CFL John Chick memory? For me, it would be him. I believe Jeff Reinbold helped him out as well when he was at the Tiger Cats driving his big family, forget exactly how many kids he had, from <laughs> Regina to Hamilton in this like delivery van. I think he has seven kids or something like that. So that cross-country trip was pretty cool, and Reinbold helping him out, giving him some aloha. I just remember the fervor of, of Riders fans when he was he was cut from Saskatchewan, how angry they were at the time. And oh, Chris Jones will always do that to a team where he'll <laughs> cut the the fan favorites and, and cause a little controversy, but it worked out all right for the for the team in the end. My my favorite memory of John Chick was his return to to uh, Mosaic Stadium in Regina as a member of the Tie Cats, and TSN caught this great moment at halftime where he started running to the home locker room, got about five steps into his jog, and then went, oh, right, and then cut and, and, and went to the away locker room, which I just thought was so charming. And I was so glad that we caught that on video because obviously he'd done that run hundreds of times and uh, had to go, oh, right, I'm uh, not wearing green and white today, boys. Let's, uh, let's get back to the away locker room. It was great. Three fun memories of Chick, and that means it's time for... The three-minute drill. Saskatchewan's provincial government has imposed a 6% tax hike on Rough Riders tickets. Is that fair from the Premier, Mr. Mo? That's a great question. I'm not sure if it's fair, but I do think that the people of Saskatchewan will find a way to blame Justin Trudeau for the 6% tax hike in some way, shape, or form. Canadian linebacker Jesse Lucchetta showed well at Penn State's Pro Day, improving his NFL Combine broad jump by six inches to an even 10 feet and completing the three-cone drill in 7.29 seconds. Will that help his NFL draft stock? I think it will. It won't cause a dramatic improvement, but it certainly answered some of the questions that he wasn't able to answer at the NFL Combine because of his unfortunate injury. Canadian defensive backs Alonzo Adai and Dean Leonard performed at Pro Days ahead of the 2022 NFL Draft, with Leonard running a 4.39 40-yard dash. Is that going to get him an NFL look? It could possibly, but speed is so plentiful among defensive backs coming out that it seems like if it happens, it'll be a late-round selection or an undrafted free agent contract. Former CFL defensive end Jean-Samuel Blanc has been hired by the University of Montreal is their new special teams coordinator. Is that a smart hire for the Catabet? I think so. He played a lot of special teams with the Alouettes. I'm sure he has strong ties to that community. I like it. Paul Apolise was surprised that Andrew Harris left Winnipeg and said Ottawa evaluated a possible reunion with the star running back. Does that make sense? I think it would have made a lot of sense had he come to Ottawa. Great reunion with Paul Lapolis to fit into his off his offense and star Canadian in the nation's capital. What could go wrong there? The Riders brought back AJ Hendy after he quit on the team in the 2021 season and made a playtime dispute. Does that move make sense? It does because the Riders need the help, I think, in the back end. And Hendy looked decent at times and clearly 
I guess let's say cooler heads have prevailed there and you consider they lost Ed Gainey and Luchez Purefoy so Hendy knows that defense with Jason Shivers so in my mind that's probably what helped here they talked with Shivers and Craig Dickinson and said all right you're probably going to get more playing time in 22. Henry Burris left the BC Lions just 10 days after being hired to accept a job with the Jacksonville Jaguars what do you think of that? I mean, you're certainly happy with Burris, but if you're a CFL player who wants to make the jump to the NFL, uh, I'd be a little bit jealous of Henry Burris being able to leave just 10 days into his deal. The Blue Bombers hired Canadian Jason Hogan as their running backs coach after he spent the last four years with the Montreal Caravan. Is that a good move? Absolutely. That's a stud program at the U Sports level, and I always like to see Canadian coaches getting jobs in the Canadian Football League. Former CFL GM Marcel Desjardins is being inducted into the Burlington Sports Hall of Fame. Is that a good fit? Makes sense. He's a great cup winner as a GM, has other rings as an assistant. GM had a long run in the CFL, so I think it's deserved. Red Blacks GM Sean Burke said that what happens in the next month or so could decide what happens with former All-Pro pass rusher Vic Beasley, who is currently on Ottawa's negotiation list. He has also said Beasley's agent did not rule out the possibility of signing and playing in the CFL. Your thoughts? I think it's big that the agent didn't immediately rule out playing in the CFL. Vic Beasley's already made a ton of money. If he's open to it, I think that's an encouraging sign. Last one, the CFL is scheduled touchdown Atlantic for July 16th in Wolfville, Nova Scotia, where the Saskatchewan Rough Riders will play the Toronto Argonauts at Acadia University. Is this a good move for the league? I love Touchdown Atlantic. I love any time you can take the product to a new area of the country. I do have serious questions about how it will go down in Wolfville, even with all the added 10,000 seats that they're putting in that stadium. That's a pretty remote and uh, small location to host a game as big as this. Man, don't hate, just appreciate, okay? JC, it'll be beautiful in the Annapolis Valley. And that's it, fellas. Another Three Down Nation podcast. Join us next week for a fresh episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.